Thank you, David. Worship team. Good morning. Man, it's good to see you all here this morning. Thank you. I need to know that. I do. I appreciate that. Uh, so honored to be with you here this morning. Appreciate David. If you don't know, the, the men who come up and pray before the sermon week after week, uh, these are our elders. And, uh, and so uh, just so you're aware of who those guys are, they lead this church underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, filled with his spirit, uh, pursuing his will for this church, and I am honored to be able to serve and lead with these men. Uh, how about our fantastic worship team? Uh, Jason Martin, our worship minister, is on vacation. Jason Lewis steps in and uh, boldly leads us into the presence of God. And man, what a powerful morning we've experienced already. I'm so thankful to be a part of this church and what God is doing. Um, our mission team from the Philippines got back late last night, <clears throat> and just what little bit I've heard, um, it was an amazing trip. Uh, in just a few weeks, we're going to give them some time in a service to come in and show us a video and tell us all about that. Um, our kids just got back from camp. They all made it there and back, uh, which was, <laughs> was awesome, uh, but, but experienced the Lord in, in some pretty powerful ways. And so I want to hear more about that from them. Uh, our new kids minister starts in two weeks, uh, Darren Shaddix. And so uh, we're excited about that. Um, the next two Sundays after today, we're going to be doing baptisms in our service. And so I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm just excited this morning. And, uh, and I want you to know it. Um, if you're somebody who wants to know more about baptism, as soon as I say that word, it caught your attention, or maybe you're at that place where you know you're ready, um, would you let us know that? We'd love to talk more about what that means and, and, and find out if this is the time for you to be baptized. You could fill out that Connect card as you heard early in the service and just put on there, uh, I'm thinking about baptism, I want to know more about baptism, whatever your situation may be, and we'll get in touch with you on that. All right, so we're ready to get started. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. Um, if you've ever been to marriage counseling, you already know where we're going. Uh, Ephesians 5, starting in 22. Uh, before we even get started this morning, we're going to lay some groundwork. So in our Redemption Story sermon series, uh, we've, been, we've been encouraged by God's word to see our life story as really um, not about us, but a small little story that, that fits as a sliver in a much bigger story being written by God himself. That, that what's going on in my life isn't ultimately about me, but it's about God and what he's doing. And he's inviting me to take my little story, my little sliver of time here, and throw it in with him in this amazing story, this epic redemption story he's writing with the universe. This morning, I want to encourage us to think of our lives as a portrait. Now, each one of us is born and grows up with a certain mindset that our lives are to be a portrait, but primarily the portrait is ourselves. And we spend our time painting, creating, scripting out a life we want for ourselves. And ultimately, we're trying to paint the best us we can paint. And we want people to see that, that version of us, don't we? We don't want people to know the behind-the-scenes version. We want them to see the, the best us we can portray and paint with the way we interact with people, the, way we, the things we post on social media, the way we dress it up here on Sunday morning so that you see the best version of me that I can possibly present to you. I want to ask you this morning to do something, if you would. I want to encourage you to maybe open up your mind to the possibility that your life is, in fact, meant to paint a portrait, but the portrait, quite possibly, is not meant to be of yourself. I want to encourage you to open up your mind to the possibility that your life was maybe possibly meant to portray someone 
else. Now we're going to get started in Ephesians 5 and 22 here in just a second. And if we're not careful with God's word, we'll read these verses believing and thinking that, that the Apostle Paul is primarily talking about marriage. And, and here's what will happen. We'll completely miss the point. All the single people in the room are going to check out. All of you who have perfect marriages, um, you're going to check out. We need to go eat lunch, right? I, I need to figure out how you do it. And we'll completely miss the point, not of just Ephesians 5, but the whole book. And so I'm going to back up. I'm going to start by walking through some of the amazing promises that we have in Christ through faith that lead us up to Ephesians 5 to fully understand what God is saying. So here's what I'm going to do. I've gone through Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and extracted these amazing promises of God, and I've put them into one paragraph. I'm going to read them to you. So these are just verses of Scripture, starting in Ephesians 1, verse 3. We read that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Move on to Ephesians chapter 2. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling and no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Put off the old self and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. By putting away falsehood, speaking the truth in love, imitate Christ. Now we just walked through over four chapters of Scripture, leading us up and preparing our hearts to read what God wants to speak to us through Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 32. So let's get started now. So Paul's going gonna, gonna to press into marriage here, starting with wives. Here's what, here's what Paul writes. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Later on, he's going to talk about this a little bit more, and he's going to add the word respect in here. So as I'm reading these verses of, to the wives, the men in the room, for some reason, are perking up. We're listening, and we're going, yes, come on, amen. You were sitting on it, weren't you? You want to say amen. Preach it. Bring it. You look over at your wife just to make sure her eyes are open, her ears are, she's listening. Because in our minds, we're thinking, yeah, I want that. 
You mean we can, we can drive somewhere without my navigational skills being questioned? We can, we, can, we, can, we can make a major purchase, right, without, without having to worry about whether or not she's going to be happy with it. I'm in on this. Paul, preach it. I want that. The women in their minds are thinking, it's God's word. Don't get angry. It's God's word. Don't get angry. Don't get angry. Now, women, what you've just been encouraged to do by God's word is to submit to and respect and follow the lead of your husband in the same way that the church respects and follows the lead of Jesus. I didn't have to make any interpretive leaps to get there. It's what it says. Then Paul is going to turn to the husbands. All the women are perking up now, right? Bring it. Here we go. I want to hear some amens from just the women, though. Husbands, verse 25. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Yeah. Right? What woman in the room doesn't want that at home? A husband who's willing to lay his life down for me, not just in the, in the big moments, but in an everyday practical way, humbly serving me, Loving me in the same way we see Jesus loving the church, I'm in on that. Right? A husband who knows where you want to go eat without asking. <laughs> A husband who plans date night, plans it. Right? And, and actually, without even asking you what you want to do, plans out what you want to do. Like, your desires are his foremost thought. Who doesn't want that? I'm in on that. Right, ladies? Whoo! Good marriage advice here. <laughs> now, there were some key words and phrases, though, that if you're not careful, you missed them, that make all of this make sense. Let me, let me rehash some of those with you. Maybe you could help me out here. Beginning in verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the, ooh, as to the Lord. So, wives, you're not being encouraged to submit and follow the lead of your husband only in the moments where he's worthy of it, right? Or in proportion to how awesome he may be in any given moment. You're being encouraged, you're being commanded by the word of God that your role is to follow his lead even when he's being a jerk. Why? Because you're to do it as to the Lord, not to him. That's challenging, isn't it? Right? There's a few moments where you're like, okay, I can follow your lead. Oops, you should have kept your mouth shut. Right? It was going so well, and you opened your mouth. But here's what you're being commanded to do, ladies. Your role in the blueprint of marriage is to follow his lead, not in proportion to how worthy he is to follow, 
but in proportion to how worthy Jesus is to follow. I love to hear Allie Lamb. I've heard how she teaches this passage, and she talks about, okay, if you don't want to, don't want to submit to a jerk, don't marry one. You married a jerk. Well, that's you chose, right? Now, husbands, I get it. You know, you married this awesome woman, and she's, she's lovely most of the time, but there are those moments, right? She gets a little moody. She gets a little edgy. And for no apparent reason, evidently, and the harder we try to figure out the reason, the more edgy and perturbed she gets. And we're being told by God's word to love her sacrificially, not just in the good moments, but every day, even when she's being a jerk or a jerkette. <laughs> it sounds, right, sounds prettier. Now, I take a step back from this and I go, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. This isn't fair, right? What if he's a jerk more days than she is? Well, that's not fair. What if my wife goes through a moody streak and it's like three or four or five days in a row of me laying, like, right? When do I get to draw the line and go, okay, I'm done? Like, that's not fair. I love these verses because they draw us desperately back to the gospel, a gospel that is not fair. Think about it. God's holy son momentarily leaving glory and authority to walk humbly on earth and submit himself to a redemptive plan that means it will end with his suffering, humility, and death. You want to talk about not fair? A holy God on a cross instead of sinful, corrupt people. That's not fair. Right? I don't want fair in God's eyes. I don't want what I deserve. I don't want with my life what I can create for myself because it is corrupt. It's ugly. You should see the paintings that I create with my life. They're a mess. I don't want fair. I long for and I desperately need more than fair, which is the heartbeat of the gospel. God coming to undeserving people and saying, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I'm going to give you beyond what you can earn for yourself. Love, forgiveness, mercy, grace. Right? Where's the, that's not fair. It's not, is it? It's God being just and out of his love saying, I'm going to be more than fair with you. I'm going to be more than fair. Now, this causes us to take a step back and go, okay, if this is the blueprint for marriage, um, and I look at my marriage, it doesn't always look like that, um, but maybe it gives me some things to work on, some practical marriage advice, and then we shut our Bibles and walk away. We've completely missed the point, completely. Matter of fact, if you take this as marriage advice and go try to live it on your own strength, how well do you think it's going to work out? Crash and burn every time. About 30 minutes in, wives, you're going to be like, whew, right? Husbands, right? You're going to lay yourself down for her. She's not going to appreciate her, say thank you, and all of a sudden, done. We'll try it again tomorrow. I'm done for the day. So we can't close our Bibles. We've got to keep them open. We've got to read. We've got to ask God, what are you trying to say to us here? What are you trying to say? Well, we keep reading in verse 31. And so what the Apostle Paul is about to do is he's going to quote the Old Testament, okay? 
And so that lets us know he's thinking about a bigger story than what's happening in my marriage today. He's got more on his mind than just helping Jason and Hallie get a better marriage today. Okay? He's thinking the big story of the Bible. He's quoting Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve, first marriage. And he says in verse 31, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. If he's a man, he'll do this. Sometimes boys get married and they have a hard time with this. But a man will leave mom and dad, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become, say it, one flesh. You see, you know this verse, right? You know it. But look at what Paul says next in verse 32. This mystery is profound. Now, if we stop here, the, the, the women in the room are going to go, this is, a, this is a crazy mystery. I don't know how this is ever going to work. You want me to follow his lead even whenever he takes option B, which is not near as good as option A? You want me to follow his lead when he picks option C? When I've laid out for him, option A would do this, option B is here, and here's option C, and he chooses C. You want me to follow his lead in that when he chooses second best? That's mysterious and profound. Husbands are scratching their head thinking, Paul, can we have an off-the-record conversation maybe just for a minute, right? Because this is mysterious. This thing that God created that we call woman, right? She starts off beautiful, and in the end, she just, I mean, she wrecks my nerves. She irritates me. I don't get her. And the more I try to figure her out, the matter she gets and the matter I get, and whoa, you talk about a profound mystery, right? Men and women being God's design here on earth to exist as one. But that's not what he's talking about. This is a profound, this mystery is profound. And he says, here's the thing. I'm not talking about your marriage. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, verse 32, he says, however, even though that's my main point, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. This is, in fact, good marital advice. But Paul is saying, what? That's not what I'm talking about here. Now, so here's what typically happens when we read these verses in the context of premarital counseling, a wedding, postmarital counseling. We read it and we think, this is primarily marital advice, advice. And so what Paul is doing is he's using the relationship between Jesus and the church as an illustration for me to pattern my marriage after so I can have the best marriage possible. Right? But what Paul did is he just flipped that equation. He said, actually, I'm talking about Jesus and the, and the, and the, ch and the church, church, and your marriage is the, the peripheral thought, the illustration of the greater truth and reality of the gospel. Your marriage is not about you. Your marriage is not about you. Your marriage is meant to, to, to create a portrait of a greater truth, a greater reality, and someone better. Now, in Ephesians 4, the chapter before this one, Paul's talking about taking off the old and putting on the new. I just quoted it when we first started this, this morning. Let me just reread Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 for you. So here's what Paul writes, and this is a chapter before Ephesians 5. He says, assuming that you have heard about him, who's him? Jesus. God, you went out on a limb. You're right. Assuming that you were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, right? Take that canvas you've been painting of yourself and put it away. 
Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after. Now, we hear the word created. What does it make us think about? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1. So once again, Paul, as he's laying out this letter to the Ephesians, he's not just thinking about them and their situation. He's thinking the broad scope of God's word. He says, created in, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, what's he referring to? He's referring to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Are you familiar with Genesis 1, 27 and what it says about you and your life? And what the purpose of your life is? Genesis 1, 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. According to God, the one who created you, he says your ultimate purpose here on earth is to bear his image. Now, in Christ, we have all these amazing benefits, love and mercy and hope and peace and joy and comfort, and right? These amazing things that come with knowing God personally. But first and foremost, my life is meant to reflect somebody better than me, God. And what Paul is talking about here is that when we trust Christ in faith, our lives have been redeemed we hand over the canvas that we've been painting, and we say, I don't know how you're going to do it. Make sense of these colors and these, these, these lines and these shapes, and I made a mess of it. And Jesus takes what we've created ourselves, right, and somehow he redeems it all. He makes sense of it all. He shows you how. See over here in this corner where you really made a mess for yourself in high school or when you were younger, and it just it looks ugly, and you don't want people to see that part of your story? Watch what I can do. Watch what happens when I apply my grace and mercy to that event, that lifestyle, that moment, that time period. Watch what happens. And all of a sudden, this amazing picture is painted. And God says to us through the gospel, your life is not about you ultimately. You were created to be a portrait, not of yourself, but of me. So Ephesians 5 is not primarily or first and foremost marriage advice. The Apostle Paul is showing us this truth and how it plays out in practical, real-life ways that you and I were created to be a portrait of him. A portrait of him. Now, we're gonna, this morning, I'm going to give you a chance to hear an amazing story of redemption. Uh, the Hemingways have shared their story, and you're going to get to meet them here in just a second. You're going to get to hear about the mess that they have made, the, 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 the chaotic portrait that they painted of their years for over four decades of marriage and how within the last eight or nine months, God has stepped in and rewritten their whole story and brought redemption to something that seemed hopeless. So if you guys are ready, let's run the Hemingway story. My name is Becky. My name is Ted. And this is our story of redemption and hope. When you think, when I think back on 37 years of what we went through, no I, I, few could have ever said, yeah, there's no workout. 
there's only one way that this worked out, and that's God's redeeming power. Ted and I met um, in college. Um, we dated very briefly, married in 1978. Most of our friends had already married, and I think we just thought, well, what the heck, we might as well. And we actually were both very busy chasing our careers, and um, uh, children did not come for seven years. We uh, were pretty much wrapped up in ourselves and uh, in our careers, and uh, that's just how life was the first seven years of our marriage. There was just not a, a, a lot of talk in our marriage about God at that time. And we certainly, neither one of us had a prayer life at that time. Uh, we just had really, I had really drifted away. Within the first three years, I had had two affairs that one of them Becky knew about and called me. As we uh, matured in our marriage and our children uh, grew up and, and left home, um, things between us uh, became even really more distant. We were really good at looking good. Our, most of our friends did not know what was going on inside the marriage. We were really good at faking it and um, uh, everyone thought we really had the perfect marriage. The last eight or ten years since our boys have moved out, um, I was in another room of the house, completely across the house. So we barely said words to each other, rarely ate together. And it wasn't this one line in the sand, it was a gradual distancing. I was serving one person and that was me. And the further that we got apart, the more angry she would become, the more I would go into it. Well, she wasn't that way, then I wouldn't act this way. And, and excuse after excuse, someone started paying attention to me. And I had another affair after 33 years struggling not to. And at that point was when I figured out that by turning my back on God, this is what happens. This is how life goes if you turn your back on God. And that the only way that we could start to rebuild renew, redeem, completely overhaul our marriage was if we put God first. And that was going to be a first for me because I, 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 there was a short time where he might have been close to that, but I still always, my fishing, my whatever came first. When you don't put God first, you put yourself first. And we were really living that out um, uh, just more than, more than anything else. Um, 
the time when we had, when our children were in the house, um, we were really devoted to them, and we were really um, focused on on our on our children and raising them the best uh, way we knew how. But but when we were not focusing on our children, we really were um, very self-centered and self-focused, and uh, we did begin to. Um, know that more we began to um, realize that and the more we counseled with uh, with Pastor Jason we that just became very clear um, early on in our counseling with Jason he he demonstrated something to it's a triangle that God's at the top Becky on one side me on the other side and that as you each individually get closer to God, you get closer to each other. And that has lived out over the last, you know, since November. So we, we chose to, we knew that we would never have a chance at rebuilding and redeeming our marriage apart. We decided to move back together. The more I read, the more I prayed, the more I saw how significant God is. Because for years and years and decades, I had never placed significance on Him. I chose. to do the unforgivable. I have learned that I'm forgiven. I know that um, without God giving me forgiveness, I wouldn't be able to forgive. Men, put yourself last. You serve God first. You serve your spouse next. You serve yourself last. You know, over the years, I don't think I have, you know, I haven't been the perfect wife either. And so I've been asking forgiveness for my shortcomings and how I didn't uh, honor Ted and, and showed a lack of respect and a lack of kindness. Today we have a, a better marriage than we ever thought possible, really. And it doesn't have anything to do with the work we, we've, we've certainly worked at it, but it's because we've got our um, relationship with God first and foremost in our lives. And we actually um, are really working to, to honor, honor God by honoring each other. Keep God first. Always keep God first. My name is Becky Hemingway. My name is Ted Hemingway, and this is our redemptive story. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> if, you, uh, if you have the honor of knowing Ted and Becky Hemingway, you know what a joy it is to be a part of what God is doing in their life right now. And what you hear in their story is how for over almost four decades, 
Uh, they, had big, they had been writing and creating these two different lives, two different stories, two different portraits. And about a year ago, it all began to unravel. And there were two conversations I'll never forget that I've had with them. One was with Becky. And we were, it was before Ted had decided to, 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 to fall in repentance and to pursue restoration. And I was asking Becky, I said, do you believe that God could redeem this? Do you believe God could truly redeem? It was after she had shared with me all the hurt, all the heartache, and all that had gone on for 37 years. And she said to me, I don't know if I want that back. And I said to her, well, I'm glad you don't want that back because that's not what God wants for you. If God redeems this thing, it won't be what you used to have. It'll be completely new. And I'll never forget another conversation I had with Ted we came and we sat down, and the first words out of Ted's mouth, I said, how are things going? Give me, give me the over-under. How are things going? He said, honestly, I feel like we're in the middle of a miracle. And that miracle is where God was stepping in, and they both had set their own canvases aside. They were putting off the old, and they were putting on the new. And in one place, one canvas, God was writing one story of his grace and his mercy, and Ted had no way to describe it but to say, I feel like I'm in the middle of a miracle. Now, I asked you at the beginning to open up your mind to the possibility that your life might not actually be about you, that the portrait that you are to create with your life, the story that you are to write, is actually about somebody else. And today, from God's word, I believe the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to see that that person is Jesus. Your life was created to reflect him. And I don't know everybody's story in this room. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you this morning. Can I do that? I pray for you. Um, I especially want to pray for any person here today who does not have a personal relationship with God. You hear about redemption stories and you hear about all these good things God is doing in people's lives. And to you, that feels or sounds a little bit foreign because you don't know him personally. I want to pray for you that today would be the day you would surrender your life to Christ. You would say to him, here's the mess that I've made. All of it. Every dark secret, every bit of it. It's a faith move. But to hand that over to Jesus and let him redeem and write a better story with your life than you could write yourself. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And Father, right now I specifically want to pray for any person in this room who does not know the power of redemption the power of knowing you personally and how with that comes a rewriting of our stories, a resetting of our purposes, a, a reestablishing of our feet and our journey and our direction in life. God, for any person here who today maybe for the first time has realized that the reason for the struggles, the reason that they have yet to find out what their ultimate purpose is, is that they've been pursuing that in themselves. God, I pray today that person would be sensitive to your spirit. I pray right now, even as I'm praying this, that your Holy Spirit would begin nudging and prompting. If that's you and you're here today, and you know it, you know you do not have a personal relationship with God and, and you haven't figured out the equation yet, you haven't figured out what you've gotta do to get what you need from him, I want you to hear this. God is saying to you right now, 
believe in my son, Jesus, and what he has done for you, and that's enough. By believing in him, you will have everything we've talked about today. Hope, purpose, security of eternal life, joy, peace. God wants to take everything in you that is corrupt, everything in you that is, that is dead, and he wants to make it alive. And the only way that happens is by trusting in Jesus. And if you want to pray this morning for salvation, this is what your prayer could sound like, but these have to be your words and you have to believe them. It could go something like this. Today, Jesus, my eyes have been opened. I'm beginning to see you for who you are now. And today I wanna believe and I wanna trust in what you've done for me on the cross. Jesus, will you take the mess I've made? Will you take this horrific painting of my life with all its hopelessness, all its sinfulness, all of its chaos, will you take it and will you make something better out of it? Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you restore to me a sense of purpose that my life matters? Would you walk with me on a daily basis that I might get to know you better? I pray and believe these things in the name of Jesus. If you, uh, if you pray that prayer with me or something like that, I'm gonna encourage you today to share that with somebody. It, it, it might be somebody that you came with who would be just so encouraged to hear that you made that decision. We'll have, our prayer partners will be at the back of the room throughout the rest of this service and they'll have lanyards on that say prayer partner and they would be honored to hear about a decision you've made today and even just to pray with you and answer questions. For the rest of us, I'm gonna invite you to stand and to sing now. To lift your voices together. Let's proclaim together this amazing hope we have of redemption in Jesus. Father, we're here now and we're ready to sing. We're ready to experience all that you have for us. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to move us and change us and transform us and convict us and encourage us and, and, and continue this amazing redemptive process that you've begun in us. Have your way with us now, we pray in Jesus' powerful name.